chapter 10 last week, so believe it or not, my ambition is to go from 11 to 16 today. Sixteen is the apex. It's the climax of this section from 11 to 16. So I'm going to do something kind of nasty for the moment. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of give you the end of the story. That makes sense. So, yeah. Uh, See, yeah. It's just fun when you actually watch people standing in line for something like Hamlet. And you walk by and you go, they all die. Anyways, but. Read along with me if you would, please. As we pick it up. Chapter 16, verse 1 says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the sons of Aaron, when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in a cloud above the mercy seat. Thus Aaron will come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and as a ram and and of a ram as a burnt offering. He shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with a linen sash and with a white turban he shall be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore he shall wash his body with water and put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel, two kids of the goats, that's young goats, as a sin offering. One ram as a burnt offering. And Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord, and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat in which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be present alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it. And the delighted go as a scapegoat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall bring the bull as a sin offering which is for himself and make atonement for himself and for his house. And shall kill the bull as a sin offering which is for himself. Then he shall take a censer full of burnt coals of fire from the altar before the Lord with his hands full of sweet incense beaten fine shall bring it inside the veil. And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony lest he die. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side. And before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his fingers seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is, before the, which is for the people. Bring its blood inside the veil. And do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull. And sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. He shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And because of the transgression for all their sins, so he shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out, that he may make atonement for himself, for his household, and for all the assembly of Israel. Pray with me if you would, please. God, you have promised... That as snow falls down to the ground and does not come up, with, up again without watering, the ground it lands upon, bringing seed to the sower and bread to the one who eats, so is your word. It never returns to you empty. So Lord, as your word goes forth, do everything you intend to do. Correct, rebuke, equip, encourage, strengthen, instruct, challenge, save. Do all you've ordained in this time. Redeem every second, God, I pray. And I thank you for the sweet privilege of being able to sit here and expect you to do fantastic things. So have your way now, Lord, I pray. As we commit this time to you, may your word burst open and come alive and land on each one of us individually right where we need to receive, but also corporately as a family. Teach us how to love each other like you ordained that the world would look and realize that your house is different from anyone else's. So we commit this time, and if there be any who have yet to know you as their Lord and Savior, let this be the afternoon of their salvation. 
as we commit this to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. I would say today is that would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible have the final say. Now, let me lay this out. If you're a note taker, I challenge you to write this down. It'll be a simple acronym. Is that me making all that noise? All right, well, there you go. When God gives commandments, and he'll give, of course, a, a whole bunch of commandments, here actually over 384 different commandments in the Leviticus, and as he gives these commandments, a lot of these questions will arise for each one of us. And of course, the simple question is why? Why does God tell us not to eat these things? Why does God tell us to eat these things? Why does God tell us that if this is the case, you have to wait for a week or 40 days or 80 days? Or why in this case can you go straight in? Can I give you a suggestion, four basic things, and they spell out the acronym HOLY. And I challenge you, no matter what commandment God lays before you, each of these will apply in one manner or another. The H stands for health. You see, God actually knows how you work better because God knows better than you do, big problem in acting issue here, as we're aware of. Let's see if that makes a difference. Is that God knows how to keep you healthy. There have been issues that God has made very clear. He does not want you going near for specific reasons. He knows, by the way, how germs are transmitted way before science has ever roughly caught up with it. He knows what things can get you well and what things can't, and which things, by the way, after proper cooking, could actually be okay. But God knows how to do things that actually help keep you healthy. Now, that doesn't mean you won't get sick, but it does mean that you will have not gotten yourself sick like you could have in many cases. A classic example is during the bubonic plague. During the bubonic plague, the only people that were not getting the bubonic plague were the Jewish people, and thus they were accused for being witches and actually performing magic on Europe because they were not getting ill where everyone else was. Well, actually, the reason was quite simple, because God said, when you touch a dead body, take a bath. It was that simple. And because the Jewish people were the only ones who had that law— The reason the bubonic plague was transferred was from mites that were living on the backs of rats. So every time the rats, when someone would die, the rats would congregate, the mites would be there, and it was kind of like a mall for diseases. So if you went anywhere near that, you went and you took a bath. And it was that simple. God knew how to keep the people healthy. So there is this aspect of health, and we'll see that even in these chapters. There is, the O stands for obedience. And <laughs> see, one of the things is God has this way of often laying out commandments of things that you just go, I don't get it. And God says, do you have to? There's something exciting about God telling you something and you don't lean upon your own understanding, and yet you do it simply because you know you're supposed to. It's interesting because God sometimes will show you later why that was so important. And to be honest... You could have fought him the entire time and then thanked him later. Several years ago, 10, 15 years ago, we had had an opportunity to begin a ministry in Russia. We reached out into an area called Tver, a beautiful area, and a crazy phenomenon took place. I can't even explain it other than people were getting saved like you just never saw. I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. I'll give you a classic example. We did three concerts on this particular series of events. The, the third concert, the big event, so to speak, where we were recording a CD and the whole bit. Three guys, three skinheads, jumped up on stage and tried to burn a wax paper drawing of an American flag in front of us. Now, I don't know about you, but if you know anything about wax paper, they would have been better off making a candle with it than trying to set it on fire. So, great use of materials. And so they jumped up on stage tried to light this thing, and all of a sudden, this hand the size of a polar bear grabs one of those guys, and it's like, whoof, and he just disappeared. You don't even know what happened. All of a sudden, that same hand comes up again, whoof, there goes the next one, whoof, there goes the third. See, what had happened the night before is that the chief of police had given his life to Jesus Christ. So you really don't want to bother the guys. Yeah, you can imagine, that probably was a pretty rough night for those skinheads. It was that kind of event, but wanting to return back 
it was this amazing fiasco where it was like, we're not sure if we want you to come back. There's, you know, there, there was all kinds of crazy things that took place. And, and it was a really, really rough thing because we had fallen in love with those people. And it was a very, it was, it was a very emotional. I would say of all the events, that's one of the top five why I don't have all the hair I used to have. But the Lord finally said, lay your hands off of this, step back, stop pushing. Yes, Lord. And that was a really difficult let go. And I bet you all have had at least one place where you can remember a really difficult let go. Where in the end of it all, you're like, this takes bravery. This takes a lot of things. And we can even think, invent noble reasons why we could disobey God. Does that make sense? And you're like, no, 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 God. You're right. You're right. I'll obey. It would turn out later that the pastor of that particular church was a thief. And what we were doing is we were bringing people into a church where people were getting stolen from. So by God's grace, we would, I would learn that many years later. And of course, a lot less follicles later. But in that, <clears throat> and the Lord just said, look it, this is what you could have been a part of, but you weren't. I pulled you out of it because of your obedience. And the Lord saves us from so many things where we would fight them. And yet God's like, you have no idea how much this is for your own benefit. So what's the H again? Can you remember? Health, to keep you healthy. The O, obedience. Okay, the L is to leave the world you came from. You see, a lot of the things that God's going to give us in these next handful of chapters, and we're going to walk through them fairly quickly, is that he knew what Egypt was like and what the diet of Egypt was like, what performances would take place, what was acceptable in Egypt. And God says, I'm going to lay out some rules because we're going to create a whole new culture. You're going to engage the culture around you, but the culture you left before you knew me, you need to leave it. I want Egypt out of you. Though I've gotten you out of Egypt, I want Egypt out of you now. Because I really want you to recognize your citizenship is in heaven. And a lot of the things they're going to have to do here, you're going to be like, and here's the problem, is that if we're used to a certain diet, we're used to certain practices, we're used to certain things, and then God says that's not acceptable, it's natural for our flesh to jump up and go, no, come on! And God goes, no, 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 no. You're going to have to trust me. I'm calling you to leave that. Because I've got something better. And that is difficult because we are then betraying habits we've created for ourselves. Appetites we've invented for ourselves. And if you say, God, you could have everything but this area, I can guarantee you that's the first place he's going to want to go. Because God is not interested in competition. So the L is to leave where we came from. So what's the H? Health. Health. <laughs> I thought that was something else. And what was the O? Obedience. What is the L? To leave what was behind. And then finally, the Y is to yearn for only him in the new world. Because, see, God doesn't just remove you out of the place you came. He reinserts you somewhere else. And when he reinserts you, he reinserts you to be a world changer. And to be a world changer, he doesn't want you to be the person you used to be. And what he doesn't want is for you to simply blend in with your surroundings. And that's a very dangerous thing. Because I'll be honest, every one of us has within us a natural appetite to be wanted. And if we don't get that satisfied in Jesus, we will actually be chasing everywhere else to be wanted by people that I guarantee will demand that you put Jesus down for you to be liked. And God's like, look it, I really want... I understand God's removing them out of Egypt, but he's not putting them back in Egypt. He's going to bring them into Canaan that will become Israel. And as he brings them into Canaan, he's like, there's a whole lot of janky things going on there too. And I don't want you doing any of those either. I brought you out of Egypt and it was a rotten place. And when I brought you out, I don't want you acting like the rotten place you came from. And there's a group of guys I remember back in Southern California... They were kind of hell's angels guys before they got saved. And then they got saved and they put on biker jackets and they would intimidate people in the gospel. Now, can you imagine that? It's like, if you died right now, and there's like six guys and they're all like, you know, kind of breathing like, you know, bulls breathing down your, and you know, I don't know, would you die? You know, if you died right now, if I killed you right now. And I'm like, really? That's where you're going to go with that. And that's just taking your Egypt with you. Does that make sense? But for the person who naturally argues, that's what we do. If you naturally are good at arguing, you're like, no, I'm saved. I can't wait to argue everybody into the kingdom. And you know what you become? A giant jerk for Jesus. That's what you become. People don't get saved that way. People just say, okay, just stop. I'm done. 
I've learned that because I was that guy. Actually, I was both, to be honest. But as we leave Egypt, then God says, but I'm reinserting you somewhere else, and I don't want you trying to blend in because, to be honest, I pulled you from one morgue where you were the only living thing, and I'm inserting you in another morgue. You're still the only living thing. Be living there. I'm like, it's like being relocated as a lifeguard. And you wear that red shirt for a reason. You're like, but, it, but it'll make me look ruddy. And you're like, yeah, but when somebody's drowning, they look for that red shirt for a reason. You're easier to spot. Now, that may be easy, but to be honest, for every one of us, there's that part of us that really wants to blend in. And God says, look it, let's not do that now. Because, see, the Holy Spirit's job is to make you different from the rest of the world. So who you're fighting is the Holy Spirit to try to blend in. This is not a covert, nor has ever been a covert operation. Christianity is not spy work. Well, okay, there was the part of spying in the, but you get the idea. It's taking ground is what it is. So listen, in the first chapter that we're looking at, chapter 11, and I'm just going to kind of give you a quick summary of it. In chapter 11, God tells us, there is a brand new diet. Now that you've left Egypt, there's a whole new diet for you. Now, praise God, by the way, and I don't want to offend anyone with this, but praise God that God doesn't say you can only eat vegetables. Now, if you're the kind that loves to eat only vegetables, praise God for you. But here God says, you know, because, you know, somebody's got to eat them off my plate. But I'm just kidding. (laughs) But God does say that there are a handful of animals and other things that can be eaten. By the way, he doesn't actually talk about vegetables, what are acceptable and not acceptable vegetables here. He figures you'd figure that out on your own. But he does basically lay it out this way. In chapter 11, here's the idea. You can eat vegetarians. That's the whole idea. It's, verses 1 through 8, there's this idea of a cloven hoof and things that chew the cud. It has to have both. It can't just have one. And he tells us about certain things that you can eat then. A camel, a rock hyrax, a hare, swine. But I want to remind you, things were eaten almost raw almost all of the time. And God knew that's part of the health is God doesn't want you eating, for instance, pork chop tartar. He knows how dangerous that is. Now, you know what we do with raw pork? We harvest it. And when we harvest it, we draw it into syringes and we jab people in the face because that's what Botox is. Are you aware of that? Botox is the toxin that you get botulism from where you swell up like a gas balloon because you've eaten bad pork. So if you actually kind of look like, you know, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, you may have had bad pork. <laughs> or you may have just gotten a Botox injection. <laughs> I'm so angry, I just can't stop smiling for an hour. <laughs> but please hear me in this. The term clean, 45% of the times that the word clean is used in the entire Bible will be used in chapters 11 through 15. of them in the entire Bible are in these five chapters, these six chapters. That tells you something, doesn't it? The word unclean, what's even more so? What's interesting is the word unclean, just to give you an idea, 94 times the word will be used in the following chapters. That's 56% of the times in all of Scripture. So here's the way it works. Verses 1 through 8, land beasts. It's got to have a cloven hoof. It's got to chew cud. That's the idea. The water beasts are next in verses 9 through 12. In verses 9 through 12, he makes it really simple. It's got to have fins and scales. Now, I want to remind you, most of the people washed their clothes and also went to the toilet in the local watering holes. So fishing for things that are bottom dwellers, that scoop up and, and scoop up the poop up to eat it, God doesn't want that to be on your menu. So things like mollusks and all of those things, God says he knew how dangerous they were then. Now, by the way, today they're harvested in a way that they're a lot safer. That's important to recognize. But now please hear me in that. So then he kind of tells us, and then by the way, verses 13 to 19, he tells us about the birds. By the way, no scavengers. I don't want you to eat anything that hunts or eats other dead things. That includes things like vultures, buzzards, falcons, ravens, so forth. Verses 20 to 25 now, he talks about insects. And by the way, at this point, do you think, God, do you even have to say this? Right? How many bugs do I want to eat? Well, really none. He says, actually, if they have jointed legs and they hop, they look like Jiminy Cricket, you're going to be okay. That's the idea. <laughs> Verses 29 to 40 then, he tells us about every other bug and things that creep, and he just says, just don't. <laughs> That's the simple as he says, just don't it, just don't eat them. 
Verses 41 to 43 then, it's all the other things that creep on the earth, and God says, just say no. That's the whole point. So let me put it to you in a way that will make it a little bit easier if you're a visual learner. For instance, and if we could have a couple slides here to help with that, here are some things that are now not on the menu. Okay, go ahead there if you would, please. Darkness, you can't eat darkness. That's, sorry, that's one of the things there. So, and more darkness. Okay, so here's our menu now. Let's take a look at the things that are now not on the menu. For instance, there's some things you can't eat. How many of you are really sad that you can't eat some of these things? Does it just break your, oh, doesn't it just break your heart? And the reason I said it like that was for a reason, right? Because you know who eats those things. Well, anyways, um, and I'll explain something at least today in regards to that. So take a look at that first goal. Now, obviously, yes? Oh, can you not see? Oh, is it because of the things that are over there? I'm sorry. Well, let's see if we can scoot you around or something. Let's have one of the, uh, what's in the way? Oh, is it this? Thank you, Amina. See, this is what happens with family. See, we just can say this and reaccommodate. Okay, so we do have, now look at what you missed. Look at what you're looking at now. Does it make you sad? Put it back, put it back. Put it back, put it back. Exactly. So, um, so for instance, you are not allowed to eat bat stew. Does that just, does that just hurt you? Um, you're not allowed to eat centipedes by themselves. Any form of like buzzard or vulture things. Wasps. Isn't that sad? I don't know about you. I've actually eaten a couple wasps as a kid. I actually don't recommend it. I actually chewed a live one once. Um, they don't like that. Uh, yeah, I, I was a boy who learned by experience. Anyways, um, Grub, grub cookies. Any of you? Uh, grub cookies. Let's take a look at the next slide. Here's some other things that are also not on the menu anymore. Starface mole, rats. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, any of you, does it, does, is this making any of you hungry at this point? Yeah. Okay. So none of these things. Here's some more things you can't have anymore. Tarantula, blowfish, um, which, by the way, um, that thing in the middle at the bottom there, that's actually some form of, I was told there was a spider that runs into the shadow because it's cooler, which if it really is true, that's kind of a fun thought because you see these really big, strong, you know, servicemen, and they're fleeing from the spider, but the spider's just trying to run to stay in the shadow. So it looks like it's chasing them. Anyways, uh, for what it's worth. Um, yeah, later there's a fly in my soup. Uh, go ahead, next one. Um, there's a couple things. You can't have kitty burritos. Um, I just put the coffee there because I don't like it. Uh, <laughs> but it has a mouse on it. That's the whole point. Uh, Cootie Crunch. And I'm not really even sure what that thing is at the top there, but I think it came from Loch Ness. Um, next one, next slide. You can't have this. This actually is a, a meal, as you see. This is a dish. Those are scorpions. Yes, they are. Those are scorpions. That's a dish. Yeah. Mm, mm. Next one. Um, a Bug Mac. Can't have a Bug Mac anymore, uh, in case you were wondering. Next one. Uh, and you can't have uh, bug pizza, as this particular guy is, seems so happy and will die single. And next person, next one. Uh, and, of course, the famous hot dog. Yeah, see? Yeah, so it'll please you to know that most hot dogs are not made with dog. We were told, by the way, we were told, by the way, of a restaurant in Bristol that was just caught not that long ago with, um, I think it was 34 or 35 frozen cats in their freezer. So um, be careful where you order your chow mein from. Um, but please hear me today, and let me explain a little bit of this today. Uh, sad to say I've probably eaten every one of those things. The um, most by a dare... Uh, there are those that there's in, in our country here. There's one place where you can go and get a lot of that. That's Scotland, but I think that's normally because they do that on a dare. But in places like China, they actually believe that whatever you eat, you get the energy or the power of. And so you know, and there's the only real thing to it is if you eat too much beef, for instance, you do become slow and lethargic. So maybe that reinforces the idea. But that's why they, for instance, they eat scorpion because they're ready for. Get it? So that's the whole idea of it, but it's really a true story. And that's why, by the way, there's some danger to that. And part of the danger is that you, there are people that are eating all kinds of things simply to try to accommodate for the weaknesses they feel they possess. Think about how dangerous that is. But by the way, that is not a new idea. The Chinese pulled that from Egypt. Egyptians believe the same thing. 
So when God starts telling you these things aren't edible, you can understand why you'd kind of go, who would want to eat a bat? Now, I'll be honest, in Russia, I may have eaten one, but they called it chicken. But, um, and we can go back to the text so this doesn't distract people, Lauren. Thank you. Because they're like, oh, I just want to pet my, my hot dog. But please hear me. God says, I really, really want you to not eat these things anymore because I have a specific diet. But please hear me. That specific diet is for your health. I don't want you eating things because you think. Now today, by the way, perhaps you wouldn't do that. But perhaps God might tell you to start to lay off the steroids. Because you think if that were the case, it was going to give you greater strength. But it really isn't allowed. It's actually very bad for you to do such a thing. I mean, there are certain things we can do today with that same mindset. Especially if you left a world, by the way, where being the biggest guy was the most important thing. And God's like, hey, that's your Egypt. Leave that behind. If you were the kind of person that could outdrink a person, God's like, leave that behind. That's your Egypt. We still have things we can leave behind like this. But in the end of it all, please hear me. This particular term, and the, what's fundamental about it is that God says these are unclean things. He doesn't call them dirty things simply or inedible or off the menu like we might. He calls them unclean. He'll say, this is unclean, this is unclean, this is, okay, this is clean. As, as an animal, you can eat this animal, but this animal is unclean, don't eat it. By the way, this isn't the first time God's introduced clean and unclean animals. Do you remember any place in the book of Genesis where God spoke about clean and unclean animals? It's kind of a fun trivia moment. Excellent, who said that? Shebang, nice job, girl from the worship team. All right, Lydia. Okay. Yeah, you know, that's true, though. God says he gathered actually clean and unclean animals onto the ark. So that's kind of a cool point to note. But understand, in the chapter, it's quite simple. Look at the last few verses, and we'll move forward. It says, For I am the Lord your God, starting in verse 44. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy, because I'm holy. Here's the point. God says, if I'm going to be unique, and you're going to be like me, you're going to be unique too. Shouldn't that make sense? God doesn't say, I'm just one of the homeboys and all I really wanted to do was blend in so you should too. He says, I'm going to be different from anyone anyone's ever met and I want you to be as well. And not just be weird, like walk around with aluminum foil on your head to protect you from gamma rays or something like that. That actually isn't that weird here in Camden. But being, but being on fire for Jesus, being content and having the joy of a God that really surpasses any circumstances, that is weird. And it's the greatest weird that there is. Verse 45 says, I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall be therefore holy because I'm holy. Notice he says it again. This is the law of the animals and the birds and every living thing that moves on the waters and every creature that creeps on the earth to distinguish between the unclean and the clean, between the animal that may be eaten and the animal that may not be eaten. And if you like, you can dig through that on your own and really develop a a great menu. Let's go to the next chapter. Chapter 12. Chapter 12, if you look at it, only has eight verses. And the simplest aspect of it is about a woman who's given birth. It says, The Lord then spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. If a woman is conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as the days of her customary impurity. In other words, the days of her period. So she shall, she shall be unclean. On the eighth day, in the flesh of the foreskins shall be circumcised. Then she shall continue in the blood of her purification 33 days. She shall not touch any hallowed thing nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are fulfilled. If she brings forth a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks as in her customary impurity. And she shall continue in the blood of her purification 66 days. When the days of her purification are fulfilled, whether a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest the lamb in the first year as a burnt offering, and a young pigeon or a turtle dove is a sin offering to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then he shall bring it before the Lord and make atonement for her. She shall be clean from the flow of her blood, for this is the law of her who was born a male or female child. If she is not able to bring a lamb, then she may bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons. One is a burnt offering and the other is a sin offering. And so the priest shall make atonement for her and notice what it says, and she will be, and what's the word there? Clean. Did you notice the word clean? Now, this is a fundamental chapter and you can miss this, but the things that God lays out in this are really heavy. One is, by the way, the gal has given birth, and by the way, you're probably aware of the fact, but when a gal gives birth, she's susceptible to all kinds of diseases because now there's all kinds of body fluids that have come out. 
And she is now, in a sense, in many cases, very tender, very raw, uh, very, well, very vulnerable. And you kind of think, well, why is it that she has, she either sits out for 40 days. In other words, she's not allowed to come to church for 40 days, if it's a boy, or 80 days, if it's, if it's a girl. You'd say, well, why does she have to wait longer for a girl? Now, there's different reasons why we can assume, but God has not told us. So now we guess. But can I say one of the things is there's a bond that is given between a mother and a daughter that are really established. And perhaps God wants to have her spend more time with that daughter not without being in public, to have that time where there's a safety that is established. And God has made very clear that he wants a safety of consistency established for any daughter in a household. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it is something more in regards to health. That part we just don't know. But this is what's really clear, is that he really wants to make sure that this gal isn't out among a whole lot of people after she's just given birth. By the way, ladies, you should be thankful for it. It's this particular law in Leviticus that kept women from going back into the fields after they had a child. Because there were other people, you know, remember sometimes they couldn't pick who they were married to. And the guy would be like, hey, well, you popped out that little puppy. Let's get going. Get back out into the field. And she's like, no, I can't for another 40 days or 80 if it's a daughter. You'd probably have wanted a daughter under those circumstances. You know what you did for 80 days or 40 days? You hung out with your child and you enjoyed them. That's what you did. But there's another really interesting little aspect in there. It tells us that when that time is done, and if it's a boy, on the eighth day you circumcise him. By the way, traditionally, that's the day that you give your child your name. And the reason why is, is that you give eight days to discover what kind of personality the child has. So that's why you name a child things like snorter, for instance, or comfort, or cries a lot, or whatever. Think about it being in, an, in, like in a teepee. You know, why did you name me Can't Stop Talking, Dad? Why is it that you keep naming me? Why did you name me Can't Stop Talking, Dad? Why did you name me Can't Stop Talking? You know, that's the idea. And so after the eighth day, by the way, we do not, for instance, with John the Baptist. Remember when he was baptized after eight days, I'm sorry, when he was circumcised after eight days. Interesting, scientists have discovered, doctors have discovered, the blood is the thickest for a boy on that eighth day. So he's quickest to heal on the eighth day than any other. And God knew what he was doing, now didn't he? But should that surprise us? But there's another little thing in here you could miss, especially in this season, how relative that is. And that is that, look at Ultimately, when the child, when the, when the time has come now, where that time where you've been quarantined is done, now you want to go and you want to make a sacrifice for your child. And what you make as a sacrifice is a lamb. But if you can't sacrifice a lamb because you can't afford it, then you can sacrifice a couple turtle doves. Did you get that from this particular text? It's interesting because in the Gospel of Luke, we read that Jesus, when brought into the temple, that a sacrifice was made. And do you remember what the sacrifice was? It was two turtle doves. And you know what that tells me? That the kings have not showed up yet when Jesus was offered. So 40 days after Jesus was born, those kings couldn't have shown up because if they had brought gold, they would have been able to afford a lamb. Does that make sense? So they showed up much later than that. And that's something we could not have known well had we not read Leviticus here. Does that make sense? So praise the Lord, he gives us this for that clarity. Shall we move on? Look, I feel like I'm like a tour guide. I'm just walking you through the beautiful, to the next wing, the, the hall of leprosy, verses, chapters 13 and 14. For what it's worth, and I, it's a sort of a really fun uh, chapter, 116 verses in the next two chapters, and I'll kind of give you the focus on it. The first 46 verses are on people that have it. From 47 to 59, it's on your garments. And that's kind of important to note. In the next chapter, the first 32 verses are what happens if somebody not as healed but cleansed from their leprosy. And then finally, in the last verses, 33 through 57, it's on your house. Please hear me on this. Up to that point, people actually thought that everything was transmitted by evil spirits. And by the way, they got that from, from uh, Egypt, to be honest. The idea that a demon just came and brought you away. So what happened is, to this day, by the way, if you have pink eye and you're in China and you turn around and look at another person, they think you'll give them pink eye. Can you imagine? So, you know, you keep that one eye closed and then you look like you're winking. It's like lose, lose, right? But see, God knew about germs before we knew about germs. That's the point. And because God knew about germs and he was so darn smart, he also knew that leprosy was actually a bacteria. It's a rod-shaped, acid-fast bacteria that in a tropical environment can exist and dwell in the mucous membrane or in mucus for over 14 days. They think the longest they've seen a strain was 21 or 29 days. Can you imagine? Now, it can't live isolated in a dry state for more than seven. 
That at least is what they know to this day. See, back then they didn't know anything about leprosy. But leprosy, what it does is it's something that actually embeds in your mucous membrane. Because most diseases easily transfer through fluids, right? Now that's something, by the way, that's only 100 years old for us. Are you aware of that? So think about the idea here that God knows that, for instance, it was transferred because it's something, what would happen is it would get into your nose often or in your mouth. It would manifest ultimately as these little dots on your face that kind of look like acne, and then it would turn copper color. And that's when you kind of know, uh-oh. Think about it. In those days, leprosy was the AIDS, if that makes sense. I mean, when you got it, it was a death sentence. Nobody gets well from leprosy because no one even knew what it was. But if you thought it was transmitted through looks or through evil spirits, you wouldn't worry about your coat or your house, would you? But if you had it and you sneezed, and you sneezed a healthy little, pardon me for saying, a healthy glob of this stuff onto your coat, and it started to manifest on the coat because it's a bacteria, he says, we better check your clothes. Then God's smart. He knows what he's doing. He goes, so those first, hand, those first half plus of the verses are like, look, at, let's take a look. And as a priest, he's like, here's your, here's your doctor's manual of what to look at. By the way, you didn't go to a doctor. You went to the priest to see how well you were. And you weren't declared healthy or unhealthy. You were declared clean or unclean. And it got to the point then, well, what would happen is, is that the priest would look and he would actually go back seven days later. Because I remind you, bacteria in a dry state can exist, or this kind of bacteria, for more than seven days. So if it was on your coat, for instance, and you looked at your cloak and there was something there, and you kind of looked and says, well, we'll go back in seven days. And that's what he says, go back in seven days. If it's gone or you've rinsed it off and it's not there, it's not active, well, then it's no threat. But if it is, burn it. Go into a house and you see something on the wall that looks like a mildew. And if that's what's there, rinse it off, cover that thing, take down those particular blocks, go back in a week. If it's gone, it's gone. If it's not, don't let anyone go into that house because I don't want anyone getting it. God doesn't want people to get sick with this. Do you get that? But understand, the most beautiful thing is in the next chapter. Because in the first chapter, it's just identifying it through a person or through their clothing. Does that make sense? You get into the next chapter, and those first 32 verses are what happens when a guy does get healed or cleansed from leprosy. Amazing. What happens is he goes to the priest. The priest has to declare him. Before that point, what it says is he has to be isolated. He has to be quarantined. And that's where we got things like leper colonies. He'd have to cover up his face. God's the one who says, cover up your face. Not just cover up your arms or cover up your eyes, but cover up your mouth. Because he knows that's where the danger is. And he says, cover that up and you have to yell, unclean, unclean, so that no one could get near you. And that's where that comes from because they knew that that was a danger. But now all of a sudden, when this happens, and they're cleansed, and they're declared clean, you know what happens? Two sacrifices are offered. And for those of you who are familiar with Leviticus up to this point, it was the sacrifice, the sin offering, and then the burnt offering. And then... The priest went and he took blood. And you know what he did with the blood? He put it on the man's right ear, his right thumb, his right big toe. Does that sound familiar? Who did you do that to before that point? Aaron, you did it to the priest. Excellent, you did it to the priest. Imagine a priest looking at a man cleansed from leprosy and treating this guy like the next priest. The sacrifices were the sacrifices of a priest. That was the offering of a priest. And then you know what you did after the blood? You did it with oil. Does that sound familiar? Now hear me on this. A person that was considered the dirtiest, the most dangerous, infectious, when touched by Christ or touched by God and made clean, becomes the ambassador of God's cleanness. And when he does, he becomes a priest. So let me ask you something. Is that you? Now let me tell you what leprosy is not just a, a bacteria that lives inside of you. It gets at these little areas in between your nerves where they kind of fire, where they communicate. Think of it as like there's a bunch of mobile phones in your body and from one side to the other, they're calling each other. And what happens is it gets in between it and it blocks all your nerves so you lose all your feeling. Now, for some of you that are suffering some form of pain, you may think, oh, that would be so great. Just a day without pain. But you would wake up because what happens is your skin regenerates by those nerves. So your skin stops regenerating. So, you know, and as you know it, 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 what happens then is your old skin, as it starts to die, it just sits there. 
So your skin gets really thick, and that's dead skin on the end of it that sits in layers and layers and layers. You will wake up to the sound of a rat eating your toes because you can't feel it. But they smell death, and so they eat it. So understand, as it starts to eat, it takes your appendages first, right? Those things farthest away from your heart, the ends of your hands, the ends of your, of your feet. And it starts to work its way into your heart. But the idea is simple. Hear me on this. Please hear me, beloved. It's just numbness. And that's all it is. You get numb to death. Can I just say, from a spiritual perspective, there is a world out there living in leprosy. And by the way, so was I. How about you? The reason why I drank, the reason why I did drugs, the reason why I went from relationship or whatever we would call those things, to, you know, from person to person, the reason why I spent all my time just amusing myself was to try to sedate myself to make myself numb because there was a lot of pain I couldn't escape because that pain is a symptom, not the cause. That's what the world won't tell you. The cause is that I was created to be with a living God who wants me. And by the way, died for me on a cross to be with me. Now, quickly, and we're getting near the end of this, believe it or not. When I was 14, I was in a fight. No, when I was in 14, I was actually in a lot of fights. But, but this particular one was a little bit more profound than, the, than many of them because on this particular fight, I, we, through a series of events, I landed. I, my feet flipped up and I landed on the corner of my shoulder blade and popped out my collarbone about three and a half inches off my shoulder. I kind of went, oh, that's sore. For the next three days, I had this big old thing sticking up on here and kind of made my shirts look weird, but I kind of, ah, ah, ah. And then I got up one day and I couldn't feel my hand. And that was when I said, maybe I should go to the doctor. Uh, and so all of a sudden, I'm kind of walking in there. My hand's up kind of doing this as I'm walking you. Sorry, it's, you know, how's it going? You know, that kind of thing. And what had happened is, is that it had gotten to the point where the main nerve, my collarbone was resting upon it and starting to sever it. And the doctor had looked at it and said, had you waited any longer, you slept on it another night, you could have severed that nerve, we would have had to amputate your arm. So I was really happy I came in on the day I did. And... And I remember, but I remember when they kind of did this surgery and they had to, I mean, it's all artificial. It's all nylon webbing now. They pulled the whole thing apart and re- rebuilt it. And uh, when they did, I, I remember waking up and the doctor took a pin and he stuck it in my finger. And it was the best pain I had ever felt in my life, if that makes sense. Because I knew at that moment this was alive again. But you know, I'll be honest, there were other pains I felt that were horrible pains that um, were even more wonderful. And there was a time where uh, years and years ago we had this kind of crazy situation and just involved a stalker and all kinds of wacky stuff. But, you, you know, it's like you just learn how to shut your heart down. But you can't be a pastor and not love people. That's the craziest thing ever. I mean, you could write your books and you can speak above people, but you really can't serve people and love them and pray for them because you've got to carry them in your bosom. And... And I just remember thinking, I know this isn't right, but I feel like this is survival. And it was a really wonky circumstances. But I remember just praying, God, I, I just, I love you and I, and I need to be better than this. And there was the Lord said, well, are you willing to let your heart be broken over and over and over again? And I asked him, is that what you require? And the Lord as clear as day said, uh-huh. And I went, oh, well then yes. Yes, Sam, just give me the strength to get through them when it happens. And the Lord's like, okay. And everything changed. And I remember the first time I felt pain after that, being so thankful that I could even hurt again because you can't feel pleasure either when you shut off the pain, if that makes sense. There was a man in Mark, actually I should say even in Matthew chapter 8, where Jesus is standing there. And again, I'm going to remind you about holy and most holy. That which is holy, by the way, and hear me on this, that just um, speaks about or represents God's presence but doesn't experience God's presence can be made filthy when something unholy touches it. When something most holy that's experiencing God's presence touches something that is unholy, it becomes holy. That's what God tells us is the power of influence. 
the difference between experiencing and living in God's presence versus kind of just trying to represent. That's why I think the church becomes so unholy. To be honest, because sometimes we get so busy trying to represent, not even to the world. I'm not even sure where we're thinking we're doing it. But, you know, it's like, but we're not busy seeking him, if that makes sense. But let me tell you, this is what you hear from people all the time. Oh, you know, we're out clubbing with my friends, but it's like a ministry. I'm like, well, let me ask you, share Jesus with any of them? No. Have you prayed with any of them? No. Do they even know you're a Christian? No. And I'm like, that's a ministry. Now, let me ask you this. You take, you take your house dog. How many of you have a dog? Anyone here have a dog? Okay, well, I'm going to pick on Peter. Look at that. <laughs> Don't worry. There were others, I'm sure, Peter, but... So, so Peter, let's say all of a sudden Peter has a dog and he lets it loose with a bunch of, with a pack of wild wolves. Don't expect two weeks from now to have the wolves come back in and bring in his newspaper. It just doesn't happen that way. What will happen is his dog will become wild, not the wolves will become domesticated. Does that make sense? And by the way, the same thing happens when that's the case. And this is what happens. Well, I'm just going to go out into the world and I'm going to make my name. Well, look, at, if we make Jesus great... And you're like, I'm going to go out there, but I'm going to go out there because I'm going to go out there to share Jesus. And I don't want to go alone. I want to bring an armor bearer, someone that can hold me accountable. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to represent, but I'm going to experience Christ among them. Because let's face it, when you start doing that, everything changes. But if you feel like you're just kind of, God's like waiting back at headquarters and you're going to go there and then try to come back, you're in a rough state, man. And please hear me, God wants to tell us that. And this was the case with Jesus. He's most holy. He wasn't representing God's presence. He is God's presence. So this leper, in the perfect example of perfect uncleanness, and we read, by the way, in the Gospel of Luke, he's covered in leprosy. Covered in leprosy. That's a 20-year death. For 20 years, he's probably been living in a colony, unable to feel the touch of anyone. His children don't come. His family doesn't come. Who comes to that? They're scared to death. He hasn't felt touch in over 18 years, if that be the case. Chances are he probably doesn't have both of his feet or both of his hands. A lot of the flesh from his face would be gone by now. The good news is when he yells unclean, there is a clear pathway open to Jesus because he's not moving but towards him. Everyone else flees. And how God opened up the red carpet for him, didn't he? And he looked at Jesus and here's what he says. He says, if you're willing you can make me clean. Notice the two things. First, he doesn't say you can make me well. I want to be clean. I don't want to just be well. I want to be clean. But the other isn't, I don't doubt you have the power. Isn't that true, believers? You don't doubt he has the power? The question is whether he's willing. You know what the next thing it says? It says that Jesus reached out his hand and he did this before he spoke. I think he said more before he spoke than when he did when he spoke, if that makes sense. He says, I'm willing. The first feeling this guy's going to have is God touching him. How amazing is that? And then he says, now go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifice that Moses told you to here in our chapters. This guy has to go back and go, no, 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 really, I was a leper. And the guy's like, you can imagine priests are like, prove it. Do you want me to go get some lepers as witnesses? What do you want me to do? And he's like, okay. And then can you imagine, this guy that was a leper has to stand before the priest, and this priest has to take blood and put it on his ear and his thumb and his big toe. Can you imagine what that would be like for all of that? And I think this is what God set up for the leper back here 1,400 years before Jesus came. Let's wrap it up. You know, to be honest, what I think we'll do is I want to go just to the last chapter of this because my daughter's just think it's the funniest thing in the world I have to teach through this. Um, and then next week, we go through the total apex. And this is the part I'm so excited about. And that's the idea of what Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement is because that is the climax of all of this. Understand it gets like unclean, clean, clean, unclean, unclean, clean, clean. You get to the next chapter, chapter 15, the chapter right before the Day of Atonement. And the entire chapter is about, well, it's about Transfer of fluids. Can you imagine that you can see why my kids think that's so funny? 
But in the 33 verses, 41 times the word clean or unclean is used. Now, in like, isn't it true? Like, if you're listening to music or anything, or you're watching a good story, things like there's a tension and it builds, it builds, it builds. But whatever it is, it gets more and more and more and more and more. And then finally goes, da 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 And that's, you know, it's like the more, it, the, 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 the height of it, the more it happens, the more you realize you're going to hit the top of that hill. Well, that's what he did in chapter 15. He's like, here's the basic thing about it. Gals have fluids that they can lose. Guys have fluids that they can lose, but they could, they could lose. And when they do, the things that touch the fluids are unclean. You're unclean while you have those fluids as well. So rinse yourself off, clean yourself, quarantine yourself during that time, and don't let those fluids touch other people. Because after all, if you got something, you could give it to them. Does that make sense? Could you imagine that that's something God said 1400 years before Jesus? That's 23, I'm sorry, 3400 years ago. And today, this, to this day, we still actually, we've finally caught up with God to realize what He means. If we just did it because we were told to, to be honest, we wouldn't be getting a lot of the sexually transmitted diseases because first of all, we would be abstinent until we were married and then we would stay faithful once we were married and then we wouldn't touch somebody else that did something really nasty to something else anyways because that would be quarantine. You wouldn't get it. I love how God works. But what's interesting is this is a chapter, and that would make sense more than anywhere, where he's like, clean, unclean, 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 Chapter 16, the Day of Atonement. Does that make sense? Because that's, he's like, after all this, he's like, no matter, I feel like no matter what happens, I'm going to get unclean somewhere. Something's going to touch me. Something's going to bark at me. Something's going to, a dead end thing's going to land near me or a fly or a whatever. Or did I eat that or didn't I? Was that really chicken? You know, whatever it is. And in the end of it all, by the time you're done, you're like, I, I, I think if we took a poll, we'd all go, okay, probably somewhere I'm unclean. God goes, good. Let's get to 16. And let's nail it down to what it means to really be clean. And that will be next week. <laughs> so hear me as we pray. And I'm going, to, I'm going to close this with prayer, obviously. But I have to do with an invitation. In the end of it all, please understand that God knows that the blood is in the life, or the life is in the blood. And blood is, by the way, the biggest transmitter of both cleansing and impurity. It all depends on whose blood it is. If Yasmin was dying from some form of disease, she had a blood poisoning, a blood infection, she could get what's called a transfusion. The, the transfusion would have to be healthy blood put in her, and if that healthy blood took, her body received that healthy blood, it could eradicate her infection. On the other side of it, if David was in a situation where he was in a healthy, he was very healthy, but he was in an accident and he needed blood. And we've heard about this several times in France, for instance, where all of a sudden he went in to get an infusion because he had lost blood but that blood was tainted, then David could actually get the very disease that the other person had through their blood. Does that make sense? The issue is not just blood, it's whose blood. In the last chapter, 15, God makes clear blood carries healing and harm. It all depends on whose blood. Interesting, the other thing is another fluid. It's it's actually a water-based fluid. And that water-based fluid will either carry health or harm. Health, it could create a child. Harm, it could bring disease. Interesting, for what it's worth, we made it, God made it really clear that both blood and water flowed from Christ. And can I just say that the greatest cleanser in all of eternity is the one whose blood was perfect, sinless, spotless, the perfect lamb. Now understand, we are all in a terminal state without Jesus. We are in a state of uncleanness because we in our own filth, in our own shame, and in our own sin have committed crimes against him. And we stand before him as a righteous judge. He is the righteous judge. And he has to punish all wrong. Or he can't be a righteous judge. But God in his perfect love for you and his perfect love for me sent Jesus to die on the cross so that all of your Punishment could, be, could have been inflicted upon Jesus. It's that simple. And he died on the cross so that he could take your punishment. In other words, Jesus took your blood upon him to receive your crimes. And then in perfect love for you, offers you his blood to purify you and make you clean. The only thing that's left is whether or not you're willing to receive that. You could say no and die in your sin. God gives you that choice. But why would you do that? 
wouldn't you rather today just say yes to Jesus? And as you say yes to Jesus, God will make you perfect and pure in his sight. He'll give you Jesus' innocence for your guilt. He'll give you his purity for your filth. And he'll call you his child because he'll adopt you. If you've said yes to Jesus, can I go back to this? God intends to make you different. Will you let him make you who he wants to make you? Because I guarantee you, there'll be no better person you can be than what he has on his script. And when he puts you and reinserts you in the world around you, he's going to use you as an agent of change. He's going to use you as the, you'll be the hypodermic to bring the blood of Christ into another unhealthy situation. Think about that. You don't have to worry about how good you are at anything. Just be ready that when the great physician puts you in his hand and injects you, just be ready to be used. It's his blood, not yours. That's the beauty. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you so much on this beautiful, beautiful day. As we've looked, Lord, at foods that we can't eat, and for some of that, we'll just say thanks. And yet I think about Peter and and Acts, Lord, how you said, Peter, to things that were unkosher, kill and eat. And he said, no. And yet you told us that anything received with, with thanksgiving now is acceptable as long as it's received with thanksgiving. We're certainly not eating scorpions to try to get the ability of a scorpion. We're not trying to channel the power of a, of a cobra when we eat that meat. Well, we probably wouldn't eat that stuff anyways. But Lord, I do know this, that we could still put in us things that are completely of the old world we came from. And I pray specifically, Lord, in regards to our own media, in regards, Lord, to uh, the stuff that we read and observe and obtain and, and engulf ourselves in and immerse ourselves into, Lord, I just pray that we would be careful, Lord, what it is we would put in us, that it wouldn't be taking us back to Egypt but that we could shine the light you've ordained for us to be, Lord, and glorify you in it. Thank you, Lord, for that clear challenge in regards to what we eat. And Lord, I thank you so much for Jesus, how you chose to be born of a poor family. And we see that even in the sacrifice of the, of the doves. And how in that, Lord, you know how to make sure that the mother gets time with her children. And I thank you, Lord, for how you so care for the family. You so love us. Father, thank you for wanting to adopt us and bring us to be part of your family. Thank you so much. Lord, and I thank you for these challenges in regards to this area of leprosy. And I just pray today, Lord, it would stand to reason if there be anyone who's been numbing themselves to their worldliness, anyone who's been numbing themselves, Lord, in such a way instead of letting you deal with the cause, that today, Lord, you would rip that open and recircumcise our hearts. And in doing so, Lord, that we would find our hearts fresh to love and to serve as you ordain. So please, Lord, even right now, have your way. Please. And Lord, even in this area where things are obviously in very intimate parts of us are shared in areas, Lord, that could transfer all kinds of things. And yet, Lord, blood brings either curse or blessing. Healing or harm. And I just pray, Lord, if there be anyone who has yet to say yes to you, that today they would see, Lord, your offer. That Jesus, you would die on the cross for all of our sins. Just as scripture promised. Was, you were buried. And just like scripture promised, three days later you rose again. And you offer us a brand new life now. No longer under the tyranny and bondage of our sin. No longer under the hand of the enemy. But removal from Egypt. And as we're free, Lord, from that, that our hands could finally be free to raise them in praise to you and to celebrate you, the God who set us free. But you don't just deliver us from that. You deliver us to you. 
that you are now our home. So I pray right now, Lord God, if there be any in this room who have not accepted the gift of Jesus' death on the cross or rose again and his resurrection, that your Holy Spirit would make that clear. And if today in this room you have yet to say yes to Jesus or you're not sure, you can be sure. I give you the offer now. Will you say yes to the God who paid for your sins on the cross so that it's already been punished? Why would you want to take the punishment that's already been paid and then rose again to offer you a brand new life with him now as your scriptwriter and the architect of your reinvention. Will you say yes to Jesus? If so, I'm going to pray this prayer. I ask you to listen. And if you agree at the end, I ask you to give a confident, resounding amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let that prayer be my prayer. Let those words be my words. So be it in my life. And here's the prayer. God, I'm a sinner. You know it, I know it. And my sin makes me imperfect before you, faulty and needy. But you've punished my sin because you so loved me. You punished my sin on the cross of your son, Jesus the Christ. And because my sin was paid for, I gladly receive that ransom. And I gladly receive your payment for my sins, even though you're the offended and I'm the offender. You and your love paid for it all. And to prove it was enough, as we'll see next week, you rose again. To prove that the sacrifice was acceptable, and in doing so, declare us holy and righteous. So I say yes. I say yes to that gift for me, letting Jesus be my ransom, my Savior, and my Lord. I say yes to you now. Have me as your own, I pray. I surrender to you in Jesus' name. If you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.